0: Good morning. It's great to have you with us at Grace Church this morning. Great to be speaking to you this morning. Uh, my generation, I feel like it's, pr- it's probably a relatively brief window in my generation, but there is a window in my generation where we all had um, some VHS tapes uh, where we'd recorded some kind of program or film. The film was on telly or something and I probably was generally over Christmas time. Uh, And then we just had these kind of few selection of films that we would watch over and over again, obviously before the days of Netflix and the like. Um, And they kind of would all have the same adverts on every time, obviously, and just get to know these adverts over and over. My sister had a few. I I remember her watching uh, Drop Dead Fred and uh, The Gremlins. We had that, that that was watched over and over for me, it was uh, the, the BBC's version where they did a series uh, through Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, particularly it was Prince Caspian and the Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, which I remember watching over and over. And if uh, you kind of know the story of, of Narnia, they go through a, a wardrobe um, in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe to a world of snow. And uh, it's, quite, it's quite a beautiful world. But you go on to find out that in this world it is permanent winter and it's under the spell of of the White Witch. And there's one classic line from Mr. Tumnus, which I remember well. He's talking to little girl Lucy and uh, he says that the the White Witch has made it always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. And... uh, Last week we started our Christmas preaching series on Advent and we looked at hope and a world where it is always winter and never Christmas is just, it's such a genius picture of a world without hope. Winter would be be hard without Christmas. As things get kind of cold and dark, most of us, I know not everyone, most of us think, well, that's not great, but at least Christmas is coming. It means there's kind of this, this break to come and Christmas is our hope in that sense. Take Christmas out, and I think for most of us at least, it would be a lot harder just, just be like, well, it's just getting cold and we'd, we'd just be looking forward to the end of winter, which we know would come. But what if it was if it was constant, never-ending winter, always winter and never Christmas? you know modern world winter is is a bit harder than, than other seasons but but not dramatically we'll be a little bit more significantly so uh, this year with the cost of living crisis and and all of that but historically with you know where heating wasn't a thing other than than with fire it would be even harder where there's there's no harvest to come in winter livestock don't don't thrive, they just survive the winter. Always winter, but never Christmas. It's just an excellent picture of a hopeless world. And when we think of Advent, we often think of excitement and anticipation, and there is, you know, some good reason for that. But traditionally in church history, Advent has been marked as a time to focus on the darkness and and the difficulty of the world. That we, that we live in. I think all of us would agree, you know, whether you're used to church or not, whether you're a Christian or not, that we live, the world we live in is a little bit messed up. Things aren't as they should be, or at least as we would want them to be. All people seem to have a, a sense of this. Our world is broken and we need an intervention. We need a savior. The, the writer Tish Harrison Warren, she says, To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache. A Our a, a deep wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache. The tradition in in Advent is to have four Advent Sundays leading up to Christmas Day with a different focus each week. First Sunday is on hope and then on waiting and third joy and fourth love. So we focused on hope last week and the difference that makes. Hope has been promised. Advent means coming. And just as Israel in the Old Testament anticipated the first coming, the first advent of the Messiah and that made all the difference and gave them hope. So we today anticipate the second coming, the second advent, and that makes all the difference and it gives us hope. So as we hope, by definition, we hope not for what we already have, but for what is not yet, what is future. Today I'm gonna talk about what we do in the meantime, what it looks like for us to wait for this hope to be fulfilled, to be realized. I don't know what you're like with waiting. I'm not great. <laughs> and actually much of the Christian life is about waiting. I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, helping you get better in coping with bad traffic or even being patient for your situation to resolve. I'm talking about how in a world of suffering and incompleteness, How do we persevere and faithfully wait for everything to be put right and for things to be completed? That we have hope and not permanent winter with no promise of Christmas changes everything, but what should our waiting look like and be marked by in the meantime? The Bible frames and answers that question brilliantly in in Romans 8. So if, uh, if you've got a Bible, then do turn there. Uh, I'll be kind of in, in and out of it throughout. So do keep it open if you've got it in front of you. We'll put it up on the screen, but it won't stay there. Um, but reading from verse 18 to verse 25 of, of Romans 8, Paul the writer says, "'I consider that our present sufferings "'are not worth comparing with the glory "'that will be revealed in us. "'For the creation waits in eager expectation "'for the children of God to be revealed.'" is about waiting, then what should Christian waiting look like? I think this passage gives us five things. Firstly, Christian waiting is difficult. The metaphor of, of an expectant mother, is it's a common one in the New Testament. The outcome is joyful, yes, but the pain is very real. I love that the Bible at no point and in no way pretends that this life is easy. The Bible is so clear that this life is not easy. Present sufferings are real. I don't know how you came to church this morning or how you're expecting to go into 2023, going to Christmas, but life is tough. Relationships fall away. Loved ones drift. Tears roll. Joy is in in short supply. And while the promise of hope does make all the difference to our perspective, it doesn't mean that the current sufferings and struggles are not real. Another way to think about it, if you, um, if you rewind about 18 months to when lateral flow COVID tests were available, um, and we were, you know, if we were to have symptoms, we were supposed to test ourselves, and also to test children who had symptoms which um was not, not not a lot of fun for anyone and uh, the test we you know may remember it didn't take too long those tests are still available they don't take too long to do it's not that the swab had to stay up your nose know, all day it's not you know permanent winter in that sense it was very brief but the suffering was very real at the same time it doesn't mean that it wasn't real pain and discomfort so the real encouragement to say to children trying to get them to do it um, and help them to do it was not to say "you know it's not it's not even that bad it's not uncomfortable it's not it, it's it's fine." That that would be just to deny the pain. The encouragement was it won't be long and then it will be all over. So to say that is to acknowledge I it, I know this is going to be a bit uncomfortable and not very nice. But to encourage them to look to the future, which is not too far away, and then it will be done and it will be all over. Now obviously, let's face it, um, it wasn't just my children. I was having to tell this to tell myself as well, it's not long, it won't be over." And, uh, and also with, with children, we told them whatever we did, whatever we could to, to get through it, um, even if it wasn't the best advice all the time. But the, the good advice was, it won't be long and then it's done. Again, the clearest example is the one in the passage. You try, you go to St. Richard's Hospital or go to the maternity ward, try telling a a woman in labour who is giving birth to just stop being dramatic and that it's not that bad really. From what I've seen, the pain is very real and rather intense. The the, the encouragement is not, the, the pain's not bad, it's just that it's not permanent. Maybe you know someone going through chemo or something. Maybe you're going through chemo. And you, and you hope that it will be effective, but almost regardless, that the, the present struggle in it is, is very real. Maybe you're in a job situation that you find hard. You, kind of, you know it won't be forever, but it's still very hard right now. It doesn't change that. The point, the point is the Bible doesn't deny our pain. Whilst we wait for hope to be realised and for it to all be over, whilst we're in that waiting, there will be pain. God does not deny your suffering. He encourages us to look forward to when it will all be over, but acknowledges that until then, while we wait, it can be hard. And Advent reminds us of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who knew his fair share of suffering, said of Advent, he said, the, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. That's, that's what the celebration of Advent is. If, is that you, troubled in soul, know themselves to be poor and imperfect? I certainly am there. The future hope is real. Current suffering is also real. Waiting is difficult. As a a kid who's excited about Christmas, just just ask a kid who's who's excited about Christmas whether they enjoy the anticipation. Some parents say, I really enjoy the build-up. Kids don't. They just want it to be Christmas now. Christian waiting is difficult. Christian waiting is also confident. I'll be relatively brief on this one because we covered a lot of it last week. Do catch up if you missed it. Um, We looked at what biblical hope is like. It's not hopefulness, fingers crossed. It is certain and, and sure, a certain and sure that this physical winter that we're coming into will end. We're not waiting and hoping it will get better. We're, we're waiting and knowing it will. Verse 21 in the passage says, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Here's a, here's a comparison that I just can't ignore, I'm afraid. I am hoping... That football comes home. Now, there's a decent chance. I think it it could happen. But even, you know, me a great optimist, it's it's not certain that, that England will win the World Cup. Christian hope is certain, it will happen. It's the difference between hoping for England to win the World Cup and hoping for Christmas to come. One could happen, one will happen. A child might struggle as they wait for Christmas, but they know it's coming. For grown-ups, we kind of know it's coming, and we know it will be here like before we know it, as well. But for kids, December is always the longest month, and it feels like forever. But no one doubts doubts that Christmas is coming. Childbirth is painful and hard, but there is the promise of joy and hope. One one way to think about it: Christian hope is about waiting. Worldly hope, kind of as, hope as the world understands it, is really about wanting. We, we know our hope will be realized. We, we just have to wait. That's what waiting is. Hope, as the world sees it, doesn't know it will be realized. Really, it's, it's about wanting and not waiting. Christian waiting is uh, confident and, and it's also eager. An eager expectation comes through in, in the passage. An expectation that's going to happen and a desperate eagerness for it too. There's a sense of impatience about it. It talks about us as humans along with the rest of creation, all creation groans as we long for an end. I um, I once had an op on my eyes which uh, caused pretty serious pain for kind of a day or two afterwards, just real pain and I was on pretty serious painkillers uh, but, but obviously, you can't have too many of those. And I'm a bit of a wimp, I mean, I grant that. Um, and I remember, so you're kind of just waiting for the moment where you can have another painkiller. And I just remember taking them and then physically groaning like, oh, while I wait for them to kick in and for them to be done. I was desperate for the wait to be over because of the pain and just want it to be done. It's, it's, we, we, there's a sense of groaning, and it's worth spelling out here, I think, what exactly are we waiting for? Let me just spell that out. To, to do that, it's helpful to, to briefly relate our situation as God's people under the new covenant to, to the situation of God's people who were under the old covenant in the Old Testament. As God's people under the new covenant, covenant there's, a, there's a sense in which we relate to, to, to them. Uh, they, they were in their own seriously dark place not just the world was in a dark place but as God's people they were in darkness and without the promise of a rescuer of a messiah without that future hope it would have been always winter but never Christmas for them but it was in the midst of that winter that Christmas was promised The promise of a rescuer to come and to restore the fortunes of Israel to reign with justice and righteousness and to bring salvation. Jeremiah 33, for example, in times of Jeremiah, it's a bad time for the nation of Israel. But then there's this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Amazing promise of hope, which made all the difference as they looked forward to the first advent. For us today, Christmas has come, right? That, that first advent, that first Christmas has come. That hope has been realized. And we live in a time where life, eternal life is now available in and through this God who, who came to earth, who was born in a barn, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, took our sin with him in his death and then was raised to life. He's now ascended to heaven, left his spirit with us and we can die and be raised to life with him. It's an amazing gospel for us to tell the world about and more on that over the next couple of Sundays but there is still this almost cosmic ache as Tish Harrison Warren says inside us and life is still difficult and we have a new future hope. So what is our future hope? It can seem too good to be true but but there is a day coming when that cosmic ache will cease. Things will be put right Justice will roll. Beautiful completeness will come. Everything sad will be made untrue. Best summed up in Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, this is what it will be, is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a day that will be. This is the destiny of those who have put their faith in Jesus. Redemption of our bodies. This is the passage says, Adoption to sonship. Every tear will be wiped away. All creation will be made new. No longer to decay. All oppression shall cease. God will get all the glory. And this is... This this talking about physical redemption. So all things, right? Trees and rivers and hills and heaths and, and your body, your physical body will be made physically new. It's not some spiritual kind of ethereal realm where it will happen. This earth and our physical bodies will be made new. Resurrection of the dead we believe in. There's a sense in which today we live in winter and darkness and cold abounds but it it will not always be winter we have the promise of a second christmas when everything will be permanently different this will all happen when jesus comes when he advents again and this is why christian waiting should be marked by eagerness because the future is so good and glorious Just as I was desperate for the painkillers to kick in, just as a mother in childbirth is desperate to get the baby out, we should have a desperate eagerness for our hope to be realized and for the day to come when every tear is wiped away. When verse 18 of the passage says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, it's, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying that they should be compared. However hard our suffering is now, and it is hard, we should be mindful of how good the future will be and how when compared to future glory, present sufferings fade into relative insignificance. We, in the West today, we don't really talk about this much because our lives are relatively easy. You go to places where Christians are killed for saying that they love Jesus and they are thinking and they are talking a lot about their future hope and glory, and they are really waiting with eagerness. Christian waiting is eager, and Christian waiting is spirit filled. Verse 23 of, of the passage says how we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit now grown inwardly. We we already have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. A Christian is someone who has the Spirit of God in them. Theologians talk about how we live in the now and the not yet. And that's kind of probably no more clearly shown in Scripture than in Romans 8. The verses before we had read, verses 14 to 17, they talk about how we, as God's people, those who put their faith in Jesus, are God's children. And then verse 23 says how we await adoption to sonship, where we will receive fully our inheritance in Christ. Today, I'm emphasising the not yet, but there is plenty of now that is amazing and for us to enjoy today. Through all that Jesus has done for us, despite our sin, we can be children of God today, brought into adoption. We, th- those who have already become God's children, given their lives to Jesus, we have got to tell the rest of the world about this amazing life that is available in Christ this Christmas. Make what you like of the modern Christmas and all that comes with it. But, but it does afford us a great opportunity to preach the gospel and to tell people of a true and lasting joy, even in the darkness. Next Saturday, it's so good getting out in all three of our sites, into towns, telling people, inviting people to come and hear of this good news. Get involved. If you're part of Grace Church, come and get involved. I know it can be difficult, but we've got to get out there and tell people. People, they, they know that Christmas joy is fleeting and anticlimactic. We've got a better joy that is the opposite of that. And it's just on, it's on us to say, just come and enjoy it. The results with them and with God. But we, we say, come, just come and see some of the goodness that's available. <clears throat> and by the way, the reason that Jesus doesn't come back today uh, and hasn't come back yet is so that we can tell more people about him. It's spelled out quite clearly in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, <clears throat> excuse me, He's not slow in returning as you think it. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When Jesus comes again, he'll come to judge. And those who have put their faith in him will have life and those who have not will, will perish. So let's get out there and tell people about him. And the life he offers, they just like us can know Emmanuel, God with us, spirit filled life. And Christian waiting is patient, as it as it makes clear in the end of the passage. In this hope we were saved again, that's the now, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? That's the not yet but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is definitively future. Advent reminds us of waiting with patience and and that much of life is exactly that. There is a sense of eagerness and impatience in our waiting and at the same time, we should also wait with patience. We know it will happen. It's like, again, telling a kid, just be patient. Christmas is coming. Just wait. We just need to, it will happen. The second Advent is coming. As things don't go as we want or as we expect in this life. As families break up and, and things just don't, we're, just, we're caught off guard by tragedy as, as people die, as, as wars don't cease but begin, as diseases thrive, as they do in winter, we don't get we don't get grumpy and arrogant before God, but we wait with patience for for completeness and restoration to come, knowing that it will. The Greek word used for patience contains the idea of endurance. In our patience, we continue to worship God and persevere. In our faith. We're not called as Christians to to, to worship God when it's all good but to worship God in the summer and in the winter and knowing that he is good, he is on the throne and that one day everything wrong will be made right. Maybe you feel like you are really in winter right now. Maybe you have been for a while. You're struggling to look to Christmas, to look to future hope yeah, it could be health, disability, financial strain, financial paralysis, feel spiritual darkness around you. You've got a failing marriage or close relationship. And, and maybe you feel like everyone around you is in a summer and even your closest friends don't understand your situation. There's one encouragement, um, this thought from, from the author, Tim Chalice, who I'll read you this. It's a fairly lengthy quote, but it's an encouragement for you. The sorrows here prepare us for the glories there. And this makes me wonder, wouldn't it be the ones who suffer most on earth who are best prepared to enjoy heaven? Wouldn't it be the ones who are deprived of so much here who will be most satisfied there? Just think of the wonder of a stroll in the garden for those who were long confined to the sick room a hike in the mountains for those who spent their lives in a wheelchair, a place in God's mansion for those who lived in nothing more than a hut. Those who are lonely in this world will marvel at the joy of fellowship. Those who were abused in this world will be satisfied to experience perfect safety. Those who were estranged in this world will rejoice to know full acceptance. The one who had so many loved ones taken from her arms will be most satisfied to know that pain and death and sorrow and sighing shall be no more. We know that heaven, the future, will be a wonder for all who are admitted, a place of perfect peace and perfect satisfaction for all who enter its gates. But surely heaven will be a greater wonder still for those whose joys were fewest, whose sorrows were deepest, Whose earth was most distant from heaven. So we wait patiently, knowing however hard the wait, it will be worth it. And possibly even the harder the wait, the more it will be worth it and the greater the joy and the glory will be. Our waiting is difficult, it's confident, it's eager, it's spirit filled, it's patient. We do live in winter, but not always winter and never Christmas. As we look forward to, to Christmas, we are reminded of both these things. First, we do live in a broken and dark world. But secondly, also Advent, Christmas is coming when we will see Jesus face to face and our joy will be full. Now, it's no wonder that the Bible basically ends with the Spirit and the Bride, the Holy Spirit and the Church of God, united in their eagerness as they say, come Lord Jesus. Jesus says in John 22 verse 16, after he's just picked up on this uh, metaphor of a woman in childbirth, he says, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I'm going to come to take communion together in a a minute. Uh, And uh, communion is an amazing physical thing that Jesus has given us to, to do. And it reminds us that all that we have, that the future joy and hope that we have is all exclusively because of Him. It's nothing to do with us. We haven't earned this right. We don't deserve to come into God's presence. We've sinned, rejected Him. We deserve death. But actually, He took the death that we deserved. He took our sin. And, And as we take communion, it reminds us that because He absorbed God's wrath for our sin and because His body was broken and His blood was poured out, we can receive what he had and we now can be adopt, adopted into sonship. We have hope and we await future glory. It's an amazing thing Jesus has given us to do as we're reminded of that in communion. And also, it's, Jesus has given us communion as a physical thing to do. Just as we've been hearing, it's, it's a physical redemption. He's given us this physical sign to do do, not just to hear about. We're not this morning just hearing words, but you can see and touch and taste and consume this bread and wine, which is the body and blood of Jesus. It's it's an amazing physical assurance of our future physical redemption. And we're going to be singing uh, this carol, we sang it last week, we're gonna sing it every week through our Advent series, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And um, we'll sing it as we take communion in a moment. We're not as we sing this though, we're not it's not about like <clears throat> pretending that we are in ancient Israel, that we're like them, and we're waiting for the first Christmas, we're waiting for Jesus to come. We are as we sing, we're identifying with them in their way, but we are waiting what we are waiting for is for Emmanuel, for Christ to come again. And the last verse just sums up so brilliantly uh, so much of what I've been saying. As we sing this, we look forward to to that day. This is our cry as we wait for that. And uh, I'll close with this. This last verse says, O come, thou King of nations, bring an end to all our suffering. Bid every pain and sorrow cease and reign now as our Prince of Peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel shall come again with us to dwell.